Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Hello, everyone. I'm Kirk Bankstead of the Up North Podcast and of the Monaco Brewing Company. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Sarah Yacoub of the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack. And I'm Pat Wright, local founder of UpNorthNewsWI.com. And uh, happy December, gang. This feels weird. It doesn't feel December-y yet. You know, especially those of you who catch our video feed where there's there's no snow on Lake Monaco behind Kirk. But, you know, it's the, the magic. Dude, dude just because I have a background that reminds me of the summer in Monaco, you don't need to rip on me for that. I, I, this makes me happier. This brings me out of my winter doldrums. Well, and look, it's not even winter yet. And again, we have no snow. There's, I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure there's no chance of a brown Christmas, but it, it just doesn't feel like we've only got a little more than three weeks out from, you know, Santa's big ride out there. So it'll come soon enough. But yeah, here it is, December. For those of you who were deer hunting, uh, we hope you were successful, either in bagging a buck or having a whole lot of fun if you didn't get one. I'm also happy to say uh, nearly all of our Christmas cards have gone out already. We have made a significant dent in our shopping. Our tree is up. I'm, I'm hoping I can just coast, you know, the rest of the way through here. Sarah, how about you? Did, uh, how did Thanksgiving weekend go? Yeah, so um, made some cranberry sauce and it turned out to be a real good recipe. Dropped a bag of cranberries in with some honey and cinnamon and then took one of those orange, uh, blood orange sodas. Why? Dumped it in, boiled the water off, and it created this <laughs> wonderful chutney that the kids actually ate, if you can believe it. Wow. Can opener sounds... is a better way to go. That's that's my feeling on the cranberry sauce. I don't know. <laughs> I know exactly. That we our family actually like we wouldn't let my mom chop up the mold of the can on the sauce because it was so ghetto to like see the what can the mold. We well, forced her to put it on the table. <laughs> Hey, before we, before I forget, you know, people were doing their Black Friday shopping. We were talking last week about supporting, you know, things that are made in Wisconsin, sold in Wisconsin, Wisconsin services. And we still haven't done the Monaco Brewing Company holiday gift guide from Kirk Bankstead. And I, I am guessing uh, that uh, folks can get uh, what progressive beer merchandise and progressive beer from a fellow like you. Oh, thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. While this podcast is not meant to hawk my own goods, That's I do appreciate it. It, right. it is the Christmas season or the holiday season. So you can get tons of merch, merchandise. We got some great t-shirts on monacobrewingcompany.com. And uh, also there's, you can look, there's a map of all of our beer, all the retail stores that carry our beer around uh, Wisconsin. So this is the month for us to, to make some money. So I appreciate, I appreciate that, Pat. Okay. Um, yeah, because again, it is December. It doesn't feel like it. It's going to be 2022 before we know it which means 2022 brings us a race for governor with Tony Evers running for a second term, uh, U.S. Senate race. Ron Johnson may or may not run for a third term. As far as Congress and the legislature go, we have no idea what the districts are going to be yet because that's still held up in court. And in fact, the state Supreme Court this week on Tuesday, led by conservatives, said that, you know, when they're going to draw their maps, they're going to start with the currently gerrymandered 2011 maps 
as a base, which Kirk, I'm telling you, does not reflect the will of the people, certainly doesn't reflect the will of the voters. Yeah. Um, so this is terrible. This is a really downer. And uh, at the end of the day, we're going to go to break pretty soon. But uh, the count, count, the count, 80 percent of Wisconsinites are saying they want fair maps. And yet this Supreme Court decision allows cheating. And so what the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC is going to do is we're not going to let people in the Northwoods forget that this happened to them, even if we get bad maps. But it is it is shameful what happened yesterday. Yep. More about that uh, later in the show. When we come back, a look at another controversial issue up north, ATV trails and how conservative-led county boards are running roughshod over local town boards and voters. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. I'm Sarah Yacoub, along with Pat Kreitlow and Kirk Bangstad. Here's the part of the show where we thank you for however you're listening to us, because we give you a lot of ways to, you know, listen to us. So many ways. You can listen. You can watch us. It all starts live on Wednesdays on the radio at News Talk 92.7, home of the Devil Radio app, where you can listen to the show on demand. On weekends, you can catch us on our website, upnorthpodcast.com in all the usual places where you can subscribe to podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube by searching Up North Podcast. And you can on there watch every show we've done so far, which begs the question why, why you would do that. But it's there if you want to watch it. And Kurt <laughs> posts the video version on the Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company, where he has the latest on progressive beer, the Brewing Company Super Pack, and whatever else he feels like talking about, which for us right now involves ATV trails up north. Yep. Okay. So uh, this is hyper local to up north, which is the reason we started this podcast in the beginning is to is to not only bring Wisconsin news, but to talk about up north issues from a, a progressive uh, viewpoint. So it's crazy how how Republicans and conservatives off so often talk about how they want to get government out of our lives. They want to, you know, that big government is ruining everything. Local control. Local, local control. Local control. But in when it comes to ATVs and UTVs in Vilas County, uh, it's it's a there's a, a right wing board that is trampling the, the government is trampling over the will of its citizens right now. And uh, last last season, we had Bob Kovar talk about this, uh, how there was a, a, a big kind of uh, thing in, in Winchester, you know, that it, you know, there was a vote and and it kind of changed government uh, like a lot of the town boards. Um, but but now we have Al Drum, who has his as part is, you know, as part of this uh, group of people who who are adamant against UTVs and ATVs, but they're not uh, just against it. They're they're for the will of the people having the right to decide what they want to do for their communities. And uh, and so. You know, we've so we, so we want to update you with what's going on. And I wanted to do introduce Al. Uh, thanks, Al, for joining us today. And tell us what's going on up north in terms of uh, in terms of the UTVs and ATVs. Well, there's a lot of things to choose from. Uh, let me start out with one. I'd like to describe it. It's it's pretty much front and center with the county board and the county highway committee and residents in many, many towns. So that I got about a four minute little discussion here to explain this one issue. Um, and I'll just start right now uh, that the current Vilas, Vilas County debacle 
hope I didn't mispronounce that, features <laughs> Vilas County allowing any entity to request an ATV county road route within any Vilas County town. This entity can be an individual person or an operational organization, which would be like an ATV club and can be located within a particular town or not located anywhere outside the town. The request is made to the Vilas County Highway Committee. Committee, uh, The affected town board does not have to be involved in any way. That was a real time bomb. Yeah, let's restate that again. Again, a, a, an entity, a, a club, people from outside of one of the towns in Vilas County it's can, worse. can request from the, the county board's highway committee, you know, to put a trail through one of the towns and the town board has no say in the matter. That's right. And to make it a little worse, if you lived in the Union of South Africa, you could be writing a letter to the Vilas County board asking for Manitouish Waters to have a uh, ATV route and they would entertain that request. So the, basically somebody from outside of town uh, has, has more and better access than the members of the town board or the, the residents of the town who oftentimes uh, there, there have been referenda and certainly uh, town boards have voted as well uh, that the folks who actually live there and who would have to, you know, either welcome or not welcome the, the ATVs and the UTVs, uh, they don't have the, the ear of county officials because of, of what the, the county board there has decided. I mean, they even did a big overhaul on the, uh, the ordinances there about ATV routes, uh, right? They did, yes. So the infamous chapter 26. <laughs> uh, Al, Al before ahead. you talk about chapter 26, Tell us, so this is what's going on, right? The county boards or the town boards have already voted that they don't want AT, they don't want ATVs and UTVs. Can you explain to us the 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 opposition uh, and why it matters? Because town town opinion should matter in these things. People voted on it. Can you give us a little history of what the towns want versus versus what the county is? just kind of trampling on? Let me make a quick statement in partial answer. The, the, I'm aware of the history from starting about 2003, right up to the present time. Um, from 2003 up to the middle of 2014, there were many initiatives where ATV trails, mostly trails, but also routes were put forward. And every time a concerned citizenry really bulked up. Um, my wife, Sue, was instrumental in sending out email messages. And in every case, the many letters, the many emails, and the standing room only crowds got the town board, and in one case, the DNR, to back off and give the people what they deserved, given that they were in the majority and speaking highly about it. So that, that's a little history and partial answer to your question. But the tide really started turning around mid-2014. And you know, for whatever reason, I don't know enough about the history to say, but it, 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 it appears that in this county board, and I think in, in others uh, in, in, in that part of the state, um, you started to have people elected there who uh, were, were more 
friendly toward, again, uh, folks from outside the area who want to bring these trails in. And it, it, it's really kind of, uh, you know, metastasized now into something that is, you know, a, a higher level of government uh, dictating to the residents of a local area, even though they've, they've already voted and, and, and don't want that in there. Well, let me comment on a, a watershed event. Uh, August 26, 2014 was a uh, county board meeting where the county board had been saying that they were going to repeal the, the resolution of 2004, which said no ATVs in Vilas County. So a big crowd showed up. Again, lots of letters, emails, et cetera. And the people asked were asking to have a referendum again and see if there was still a, ma a majority that did not want ATVs, thinking that, that, that even this county board might listen. Here is a here is a paraphrased quote from town or county board chair Ron De Bruin in 2004. I firmly believe that a referendum this November, that would be 2014, will show the same result as the 2004 referendum, which in parentheses showed 63% of the populace not wanting ATVs. Then he followed with this bombshell, but I do not care about the wishes of the majority in this county. And with that, the Vallis County Board voted overwhelmingly to rescind the 2004 ATV prohibition. We have anarchy again in Vallis County. Yeah. Oh. This so, is, oh my God. Alan, what can people do? I mean, when you have local representatives saying, I don't care about the people who elected and entrusted me with this representative position, what are we left to do at that point? <laughs> my silence is golden. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but in, in many cases, nobody's listening. Um, my town of Presque Isle. You don't want them to email or, or, or you know, get in touch with. Oh, oh, with oh I see. I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood your question. Yeah. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to make a pitch for that right yes, now. please. Yeah. Okay. Um, on Tuesday, December 21st, with, uh, you know, three weeks from now, the Vilas County Highway Committee will hear two requests to open all county roads in the two towns of Manitowish Waters and Winchester to ATV traffic. The two town boards did not make these requests. They do not want ATV routes and citizens are on recent written record referenda and surveys opposing ATV routes. So you, if you would, write email messages opposing this initiative I just commented on to the Vilas County Highway Committee in care of Vilas County Clerk, Dave Alleman. Uh, shall I read out his email address? Sure, that'd be fine. Okay, D-A-A-L-L-E at W-I, all one word, dot gov and ask Mr. Oliman to forward your email to the Vilas County Highway Committee members. 
Okay, so Al, that's good. You got you got that out because I know that it's a big part of your organization um, that you wanna that you wanna get people to weigh in on this because they're not listening to you. So we you at, you know we talk to each other and you know I'm me being the Monaco Brewing Company, I know a lot of these issues well. However, let me let me in, let me be the devil's advocate here. Uh, we are on the devil's radio. Uh, uh, I know that winter is is disappearing. Or at least the snow is somewhat disappearing up north, and um, and so and so businesses like mine depend on snowmobiles. Uh, used to depend on snowmobiles uh, to to kind of come and you know drink beer at our place in the in the winter time. But we're running out of snow, and so the snowmobiles aren't around anymore. So the big push for ATVs and UTVs are to uh, to get tourists when it's not snowy and it's kind of you know just dirt on the ground and and so it's kind of a buttress to our kind of what climate change is doing to the north woods and it's going to get her into the snow so my question to you is you know what is i mean i i get it your focus is let the people decide because there's two sides of the story um what what is more important to you the democracy of this or like the quiet and the peace of the north woods that you want to see the lack of democracy is the most disturbing to me personally. It's it's frightening. And and that's really I mean, look, even if you live anywhere near that area, and this this deals with things like the 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 January sixth insurrection as well, and everything else. However, you voted, however you voted on things, however you feel about an issue, there is something fundamental here about uh, a, a government body led by people who said they were for local control you know, taking away that that local control at that level, and that, that that is not the way to address, you know, an honest debate uh, here. And yes, uh, we, we've covered this at, at upnorthnewswi.com as well, that with the changing climate, there's, there's less snow, it is hurting the resort owners. There's always this search for, you know, other industries, you know, the paper mills have been closing things that you're always looking for what's next. But that does not mean it comes at the expense of, of democracy and trampling on the on the rights of folks up there. And Al, you you were mentioning before, um, and forgive me, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the name, but is, is, there's a wilderness alliance or or a group that uh, is involved in this as well that you wanted to talk about. Yes, lastwildernessalliance.org. That is their actual uh, domain name. You can put that in your computer and get their website. And it's a group that is advocating um, throughout quite a wide Northwoods area for um, the environment, protecting lakes and, and so forth, but also promoting good democratic small D government, big D too, probably. <laughs> so yeah, so I totally, I totally agree with you. The, um, you know, as a business owner, uh, you know, I might be on on a different side of this this issue, but it should not come at the expense of uh, of doing it the right way. Uh, so let me ask you, Al, like if 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 the referendum came and and you know sixty percent of the people voted to open open all these towns for UTV trails, you'd be okay with that as long as as long as the majority won. Yes. Uh, the, the, the last wilderness, wilderness Alliance spent uh, several thousand dollars doing a survey uh, a couple of months ago and found that 
and we had 63% return for all property owners in, in Presque Isle. Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, that, that want that didn't that wanted the quiet that chose to, to not open the trust. Yes. And when we were pushing the town board, we asked the town board to sanction that survey and we would pay for it. We, we ended up paying for it anyway, but the town board wanted nothing to do with it. Several of our spokespersons uh, in public meetings stated, if there's more people that want ATVs than don't want ATVs, we'll be quiet and accept it. But so, that, that's the whole point. It, it's got to be yeah, done honestly. That, so, hey, Al, that, thank you so much. We really appreciate learning about this and, and, and so glad that you could fill us in and we'll, we'll be back in touch with you. Looking forward to another update. Take care there. All right. Thank you much, Kurt. Thank you. Thanks hey, a lot, when we come back, we will talk to a, an expert on infectious diseases at the Medical College of Wisconsin about the Omicron variant of the coronavirus and how it's showing up even as hospital beds and ICU space up north are becoming scarce. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North <laughs> podcast. I'm Sarah Yakub, along with Pat Kreitlow and Kirk Bankstead. All right. So every time we talk about tell them why before we get to the sad part of the, yeah, the no. every time we talk about COVID, I'm like, I'm like, we should play love potion number nine. Because then like if we convince people that the vaccine is like a love potion where like they find their future mate, it, they might want to take it. They might want to take it more than they currently do. All right. So that's why we played love potion number nine. Okay, now for the seriousness of the situation. So, so just this week, uh, was the Wisconsin death toll from COVID passed 9,000. And uh, I just, I read that you know, since June 1st, uh, out of that 9,000, about 1,500 people have died. And this is when the vaccines were readily available. So that means that 17% of all the deaths that's happened from COVID in Wisconsin, that's one out of six people who have died from COVID are those who have chosen not to get the vaccine because they were worried that it might hurt them. Uh, or, or a whole host of, of other bits of, of misinformation or hesitancy or, or what have you. And so now we're going through another spike of cases, which lead to hospitalizations, which lead to deaths. And so as you can imagine, from my day job over at upnorthnewswi.com, we've been following this depressingly huge jump. And, um, a, a, and most of that is thought to be of the Delta variant. So just imagine what's going to happen when the Omicron variant finally takes root here. Right now, uh, as of uh, Wednesday, when we taped this in northern Wisconsin, out of 404 intensive care unit beds, ICU beds, out of 404 beds, there are three available right now for whether it's COVID or a heart attack or whatever the case may be. Of the 194 intermediate care beds in the Northwest region, only three of those beds are available. Statewide, there are only 49 ICU beds left. The other the 1,300 or so 
are filled up. And of course, the vast majority, Sarah, are people who are not vaccinated. Thank you, Pat. Uh, we are so blessed to have Dr. Anna Corey, an assistant professor of medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin here with us tonight. She is specifically in the division of infectious diseases. So somebody that we should all want to listen to because she knows a lot about this stuff. Uh, Dr. Corey received her medical degree from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and a master's in public health from Harvard University. She completed a residency in internal medicine and a fellowship in infectious diseases at the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinics. She joined the Medical College of Wisconsin faculty in 2017 and specializes in the treatment of infections in solid organs and bone marrow transplant recipients. We are so happy to have her join us. Dr. Corey, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of all your advocacy work and it's very much appreciated. Well, we, we appreciate your experience here because again, for folks who wanna say, I wanna do my own research, the doctor here has done the, re she knows how to research. This is Sarah. This is somebody to listen to. Well, you know, I, I'm the daughter of two PhD scientists. My dad's at NIH. And so, you know, my husband's a PhD scientist. And so I know intimately how much money goes into research. So when someone says I'm doing my own research, I'm like, I promise you the, the 20 minutes on Google doesn't compare to the trillions of dollars that we spend figuring this stuff out. But Dr. Corey, I mean, I feel like we're bending over backwards doing mental gymnastics, trying to figure out how to reach people. Um, you know, what is what have you found to be effective? Um, you know, we all care about each other and our family members, and no one wants anyone to get sick or to die or to overwhelm our medical community. What can we do that we're not already doing? Well, I think, you know, that's the million dollar question. I mean, I have these conversations almost every day in my clinic and, you know, it does get very exhausting, but I, you know, force myself to have the conversations because I have seen over the last almost two years, I mean, I've seen countless numbers of people in the hospital with COVID. I've seen, you know, a number of my patients die. I work with a very vulnerable population in terms of um, bone marrow and solid organ transplant patients die. And, you know, I just, for my own, I just need to know that I did talk to people about the vaccine. So I make sure that I do that. Um, I just feel like we're fighting two different battles here. I mean, of equal magnitude, we're fighting the pandemic of COVID, um, the actual disease, and we're also fighting a pandemic of misinformation. And I see it every day. Um, so, you know, I try to kind of stay in tune with what is people are saying on social media, what are the common misconceptions going around, whether, you know, it varies, it's, it's too new, the process was rushed, you know, I try to kind of see what people are going to say, I try to have those open conversations, and I don't come at it, you know, like I, I know, and you know, you don't know anything, I, I ask them what, what are their concerns, you know, what are their hesitations, what have they heard, and I have been successful sometimes, not, not all the time, for sure, though. So, by the way, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think 20 years from now, there's going to be history books written about what the immense failure to get, you know, for of people to believe uh, how dangerous this pandemic was. I mean, it, this is going to be a blip in our history that will never go away. Uh, but let me ask you the question. We want to get to brass tacks here because we do have a new variant. Um, can you give us an overview of what the current 
booster recommendations are. Uh, this gets beamed up to the Northwoods, and the Northwoods is probably un, is at least least vaxxed as in part of the uh, part of the state that that in Wisconsin. So we really want to get the right information out to these folks. Sure. So, I mean, vaccination is still the most effective tool we have to fight the pandemic. Um, you know, we do have some other tools such as, you know, masking, social distancing, some therapeutics, um, you know, better ways to treat our ICU patients, but those all have limitations. And so really vaccination is how the pandemic part of COVID ends. And I, I truly believe that. Um, so, you know, I definitely encourage everyone to get the primary series. Um, but we also are now recommending a booster dose for everyone uh, over the age of 18 right now. So the boosters are for people over the age of 18. So this is an additional dose of a COVID vaccine uh, six months after the primary dose series if you initially received one of the mRNA vaccines. So if you received um, Pfizer or Moderna, so you're gonna get your booster six months later. If you received a primary series of J&J, &J, the single dose, Johnson & Johnson, you get your booster two months later. And in terms of the booster, you can choose. You can choose whichever one you want, Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J. &J. I usually recommend going with one of the mRNA vaccines for the booster. Um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, uh, I've heard that Pfizer is looking into, you know, going down in age group to age 16 for boosters pretty soon. So we can, you know, keep that in mind. But I definitely encourage everyone to get it, but especially if you're older than 50, you have any comorbidities, health problems, or if you're immunocompromised, that's really important to get the booster. So we've heard at the beginning of this, well, this is just like the flu. Well, the numbers are telling us, no, this is not just like the flu, but now I feel like we're shifting into a narrative of, okay, it's bad, it's real, but there's nothing we can do. We just have to sit back and all die. And, you know, what do you say to people that sort of have this idea that there's nothing we can do? I mean, I, I, I'm hearing you say, go get, go out and get vaccinated. Um, but to the people that just think, you know, we'll just ride this out and, you know, this whole herd immunity idea as if, you know, we got out of polio without vaccines or vaccines, if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, you know, how do we, how do we uh, address those false, bizarre messages? Well, I think, you know, what I tell people is that so the initial vaccine series is holding up very well in terms of protection against hospitalization and death. So that has been a, a huge success. I mean, I used to see people over the age of 65 just dying, you know, in the ICU all the time before. And now we have great uptake in that population for that's the most uh, highly vaccinated population, the older adults. And we, we're just not seeing them as much, you know, in the hospital. And that's great. Um, so that's what vaccines do, you know, the vaccines, the primary series is not holding up as well against mild infection, which we all, you know, are wish it were, but you know, that's because of a couple different factors. The studies were done, you know, when the alpha variant was predominant and now this summer it shifted and we're, you know, almost all Delta starting from this summer and Delta is more transmissible. And so you're just seeing a little bit, you're seeing those milder um, COVID cases now, um, more of them. So the booster, that's where the booster can really help. So the booster is really gonna help with those milder, you know, preventing those milder cases and taking it back up to, you know, where we, we hope it should be more in the 90% rate of um, infections. So it's very important for those uh, older adults, especially because we know that the immunity does wane off a little bit, you know, after that six month period of time. 
Um, and so we know that they need that. And, you know, if we have more effective vaccination with boosters, we're going to have, you know, less, less spread, uh, just fewer cases, and it's just going to be better overall. All right, doctor. So let's make sure that we get in, you know, what, what you, I mean, you're an expert, you're one of the top experts in Wisconsin. Tell us a little about Omicron so that people don't get freaked out, or if they should be freaking out, like you can tell <laughs> us to get freaked out. Well, I don't think we know quite enough to get freaked out. So Omicron was first reported to the WHO on November 26th, and it was first uh, noted by the South African, uh, the country of South Africa. And I think, you know, we should definitely be uh, stay away from, you know, blaming or that kind of thing, because it's because of their great monitoring and, you know, real openness in, in terms of reporting to the global scientific community that they have detected this. So I think that's a really good thing. Um, now it's been reported in over 20 uh, countries, including the U.S. It looks like there was someone who came back from South Africa today to California. Um, so, you know, hopefully the CDC is doing great monitoring and hopefully we'll pick up the cases that are probably here. So in terms of what we know about Omicron, it looks like what's concerning people is the fact that it has quite a few mutations in the spike protein. So the spike protein is on the surface of the virus and that's what allows entry into the, the human cells and allows it to you know, bind and gain entry. And so that's the major target of the antibodies that are generated um, from some natural immunity from the vaccine. Um, that's what the monoclonal antibodies um, do. So the concern is that it might be able to evade some of those antibodies um, that will pr be produced. So making those um, vaccines, natural infection, or the monoclonals less effective. Effective. I think it's unlikely that it's going to make them completely, you know, ineffective. Um, that's probably not what we're going to see at all. Um, the vaccines still seem to be holding up very well against, you know, hospitalization and death with other variants. Um, so I think there's reason for hope there. There's some, you know, thought and um, early reports out of South Africa that it could be more transmissible. So we'll have to kind of see how, how that pans out. Um, so we just won't know more um, for a few weeks. I think, you know, the biopharmaceutical uh, companies have said, you know, they're able to tweak their vaccine. The um, companies that produce the monoclonal antibodies are able to tweak those as well. So hopefully we can keep up with this. But, you know, I this is one of the things that I tell some of my younger, healthier patients, you know, why should I get vaccinated? You know, I tell them, you know, are you going to die of COVID if you're young, healthy, and no COVID? comorbidities, you know, probably not. Um, you're probably unlikely to die, end up in the hospital. But, you know, if you're a person that's causing COVID to spread, you know, unchecked in the community, it's going to be replicating more, it's going to be more prone to mutations. Um, and then, you know, this is, this is how it carries on. This and is I it. Think we yeah. we're, we're weaponizing, you know, people who, who don't even realize it. So Dr. Corey, in the, in the short time that we have left here, um, you, you've been wonderful about explaining the science, but let's take, let's take the doctor away from your name here for a second. And as, as Anna Corey healthcare provider who works with other healthcare providers, who've talked to countless people who've had to care for countless people to see this happening again and to still have some of these same conversations. How are you? How are your colleagues? How are your friends 
doing, frankly, as we head into a, you know, a winter season that already was going to have flu and RSV, and now you have this. What should people know about how their neighbors who are healthcare providers are, are really doing with this? Oh, that's nice of you to ask. Um, I think, you know, there definitely is quite a bit of burnout in the medical community. I think, you know, there's a lot of issues that go into that. Um, you know, a lot of hospitals and clinics are short staffed right now, just with the, you know, shortage of nurses and other healthcare um, professionals. Um, so that's causing strain. Like you mentioned, you know, RSV is causing um, hospitalizations at children's, children's hospitals. So that's putting a real strain. Um, I think, you know, the concern is as we go into winter, we're seeing COVID hospitalizations increase. We're starting to see flu now. There's been some outbreaks on college campuses. So definitely would, would recommend everyone over six months get vaccinated against flu too, just to put in a quick pitch. Um, you can also get that with your COVID booster. There's no issues with that. That at all. Um, nope. You can get them at the same time. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, it's, there's a lot of burnout and um, it's just, it is frustrating to see um, all the misinformation. And like you said, just to constantly every day in my clinic, I just dread, you know, I dread my cat is in the background. Sorry. <laughs> I dread, um, cat, trust me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I dread looking at the chart and I hate to pull up the WIR vaccination history. It just, it makes me feel anxious because I know that when I don't see those COVID vaccines on there, I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation. It's going to slow me down in clinic. It's just kind of this feeling of dread. Well, so, yeah, because it, it's something that we did, we did not think would, we would still be trying to break through, you know, th those bubbles that, that mis misinformation, you know, ha has led to. So I, uh, Again, you know, as, as somebody who, uh, you know, you're working at the Medical College of Wisconsin, my wife is a Medical College of Wisconsin alum, uh, and to, to see this frustration still uh, is, is, is puzzling, but like you said in the very beginning, it is these conversations with trusted people, trusted medical providers, friends, neighbors who are listening to this, who are going to have conversations over holiday dinner that can make all the difference. And so we really, really thank you for what you're doing, Dr. Anna Corey, uh, for being our guest today and for all you do. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, we are going to take our final break, and then we'll talk more uh, about the, uh, the state Supreme Court decision on gerrymandered maps. When we come back, you're up north. It's been a long Sam Cook, everybody. Sam Cook's a change is going to come. That's our attempt to put a silver lining on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court's decision to allow the Republican gerrymandered maps to at least be the base of their effort to draw maps uh, next month. So again, to, to go back a couple of steps here, the... Um, the Republican-led legislature, uh, to nobody's surprise, uh, passed a new set of maps because of the census last year, have to do it every 10 years, maps that were as rigged or more so than the ones that passed 10 years ago. Are they really rigged? Yes, courts have said so. It's not that a court has said they're not rigged. What courts have said is partisan gerrymandering is maybe not the thing we should be deciding on. And, and I think that that legal fight is going to continue. Anyway, so the Republican legislature passes rigged maps. Governor Evers vetoes them, of course. Uh, Governor Evers put up the People's Map Commission uh, maps. Those did not pass. And so it goes to the courts. Now, the past several decades, this, the federal courts have been the ones to draw the maps because the Wisconsin Supreme Court in 1964 said, we don't 
we don't have the expertise to do this. But this conservative-led state Supreme Court said, ah, we got this. So they're saying, you know, of course, we're going to start with the Republican maps as a base. And now we wait to see if the federal courts will take whatever the state Supreme Court did or does next month and says, well, we have to respect that. You're the state Supreme Court. Or if they say, get that trash out of here, we will draw a fair map. So one way or another, things are going to start to move about six weeks from now, starting with that state Supreme Court hearing. Sarah and Kirk, you are both my eternal optimists on this. How does Wisconsin get its democracy back as we fight over these fair maps? And well, gosh darn. Um, well, we need Tom Tiffany to save us, so we might all be doomed. But no, seriously, wow. Um, the wow. John Lewis Voting Rights Act is something that would strengthen the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It would prevent a lot of the shenanigans that are going on. Um, and right now it has passed the House. It's being held up in the Senate because Mitch McConnell so badly needs to retire. Uh, and it's a bunch of res Republican obstructionists. But just to give our viewers, our listeners an idea of how good this is for business and for our economy, over 150 companies signed a letter supporting the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, including Amazon, Apple, Best Buy, Pepsi, Ikea, Nestle, USA, Macy's, and Target. So this isn't just the right thing to do from a democracy morality standpoint. This is good for business. This is good for the economy. And, you know, this is about being on the right side of history. Mitch McConnell's not going to get there, so he should kindly sit down, retire, move aside. Um, but if we get this done at the federal level, through Congress, through President Biden, then a lot of these concerns will uh, be alleviated. Thanks, Sarah. And let me just add, so this, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is the way that the, that the federal government can fix what's happening in Wisconsin, what's happening in Ohio, we can get rid of this gerrymandering stuff. It's not happening uh, yet. And and because, uh, you know, even honestly, Democrats aren't, mit, you know, Kristen Sinema and and uh, Joe Manchin, two senators, aren't willing to kill the filibuster uh, to 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 vote, to have a majority by like a one person margin in the U.S. Senate pass this bill. So it's it's killing us right now. I want to go to what happens if it doesn't pass. It hasn't passed already. Uh, they're probably not going to kill the filibuster. I think we just listened to Sam Cook. We were in this position before, uh, you know, in the 60s, where, where, where government was just not doing the right thing. There was a massive movement. There was, there was songs, Sam Cook sang. There was literature. Uh, you know, there's been mud rake, muckrakers before the 60s that have changed public opinion uh, to, to, to make people that were listening to the misinformation change their minds. And so I am, I am going to be the guy that says, if all else fails, we can still have hope because we can, we can, we can fight like the hippies did in the 60s. And I think which, which basically to. was, again, like we talked about with COVID, one conversation at a time. You know, we're not going to change Tom Tiffany's mind. We're going to have to out, outlast, outvote, outlive, whatever the, the case may be and keep having those conversations for the next group of leaders that can once again embrace democracy. And with that, it's time for us to go. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks to our guests, Al Drum and Dr. Anna Corey. And thank you for joining us up here at the cabin. You can reach us by email. Use info at upnorthpodcast.com. 
and uh, we'll talk to you next week.